greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Al. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The price is wrong, bitch. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Welcome to a very special episode of the Critics Not Cynics podcast. Um, this is probably going to be a little bit shorter than normal fare, but this is actually a bonus episode of the podcast because as of recording uh, this on Sunday, and our podcast normally drops on Monday, we do have a normal episode dropping there as well with Leslie and I discussing uh, Beyond White Space and Project Power. But Saturday was a special day for the DC Comics fans of the world. Um, I think DC did something very special for fans during this uh, pandemic um, era we are living in right now, bringing essentially Comic-Con to the fans throughout the world via uh, DC fandom. And I really, actually, I wasn't really going to be looking at it a whole lot. I know I wanted to watch the Zack Snyder panel um, to get the Justice League, uh, t- uh, Justice League Snyder cut tease. And um, I was kind of intrigued on, on checking out the Batman uh, panel, but I really was kind of just going to go under the, oh, well, they'll release it later uh, via YouTube, and I'll, I'll check it out then. But after we were done recording Monday's episode, Leslie and I were talking about it, and she was talking about she was going to be watching the Wonder Woman 84 panel. And um, so during that conversation, I was like, you know what? Yeah, maybe I'll just give it a shot. I'll look at the schedule. I'll see, okay, there's a few panels uh, I want to watch. And I actually had the whole experience running the entire afternoon of Saturday. I, I would say I paid attention to most of the panels. There were a few panels that I, I that weren't for me. Um, I did like the Chris uh, Daughtry uh, bit, although I think the song that he sang solo had some audio issues uh, where it was echoing, and I didn't really get to enjoy that song. But then the other song... Uh, he debuted with his band um, f- via working from home and them compiling it all together, I thought was really cool. Uh, but there were other panels like uh, the Wonder Woman 84, the Jim uh, Jim Lee uh, artist review of a portfolio, um, the Batman voices uh, from other countries, uh, the Flash, all these other panels that were on there that I really didn't intend on necessarily watching. Uh, I, I ended up doing that or at least having it on while, while watching something else and still, you know, paying half attention. And I think like one of the very cool panels that might get missed under all the sheer amount of panels that they did, which it was amazing that how many they did and how engaging it was and how interesting it was and, and new information that they were bringing out to the DC fans was the multiverse panel um, one, I liked actually, you know, seeing Walter Hamada, who, as soon as I heard him taking over, um, basically the movie parts for DC, um, and only having read a little bit about his background in film and, and kind of the person that he is, I felt like this was a good move for DC 
to to make like this was a guy who seemed that he was behind his directors behind the visionaries behind the artists and that he would do whatever he could to make sure that the true image of the the director it ends up on the screen i think had he been in the position he's in now when snyder was making the um the justice league movie we probably would have gotten uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. I I really do believe that because one of the interesting things hearing in this multiverse panel was him talking about the realization, especially um, with Crisis on Infinite Earths on uh, the CW and seeing how people reacted to all the different cameos and handling different versions of the same character. uh, Walter and, and Jim were discussing on that panel that they are now more um, likely to mix the movie and TV universes. The the whole um, Ezra Miller, Grant Gustin uh, thing in The Flash being kind of like an afterthought uh, wish. Well, not even an afterthought wish, but a wish that Berlanti wanted to do. Uh, but then after kind of filming was completed, they, they asked and they were able to film it uh, very quickly, short, brief scene, and insert it in to the surprise of actually people who had already worked on the project. So the reception of that being so positive, Walter was able to look at this and go, you know, maybe we can start looking at this multiverse idea. Maybe we can do movies that are in continuity and out of continuity. Um, one intriguing factor that I don't agree with Walter on, but I can understand why he looks at it from a business perspective, is Joker, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, is outside the basically the, the Earth One, which would be the Justice League, Aquaman, Flash, Wonder Woman, um, those uh, Man of Steel, those uh, set of movies universe. Um, it's not a part of that, which is understandable. And it's not a part of basically their multiverse. So it, it, it sits outside of that, which I doesn't sit 100% well with me, but I can see it because Joker is one of those unique comic book movies that could not be a comic book movie. Uh, a lot of similarities, and I, I believe we talked about it on the podcast, is that it is very much a Martin Scorsese-esque version of Taxi Driver, up, almost updated from modern times, even though it takes place in, in the late 70s, early 80s. So uh, I, I can understand that kind of coming from a business perspective, it's also probably one of the darkest movies DC has done. Um, and I know that they're still trying to strike their balance between uh, humor and and being serious. And, and I think that that's fine. I, I always want to have a distinguishing mark between the Marvel movies and the DC movies. I have no issue with the Marvel movies being lighter in tone, feeling more um, a little campy and, and like your Saturday cartoons or or just of the the brighter version of the comic books. Um and I like that DC, starting with Zack and Man of Steel, kind of took this more. We're gonna try to ground it. We're gonna we're gonna make it more serious. Yes, we'll have some lighthearted moments, or we'll even have some lighthearted films like Shazam. Um, but we're we're gonna keep this tone of of this being serious. And uh, when that got changed with Joss Whedon's Justice League version, um, because they were trying to replicate the success of his Avengers movie, it it didn't sit well. And and I think that that's why there's this kind of division between fans on which direction DC should go, because there are fans who really do like the dark and serious. And there are fans who really want kind of the campy fun humor. And I, I I'm always of the mind saying, I, I would rather have both out there and both be different than watching the same thing because then it gets bland, it gets tired, and they're really not treading new grounds. I don't want the DC movies, all at least all of the DC movies, uh, even the dark and serious characters like Batman, I don't want them to take a lighter tone just to appease part of an audience that wants that for all their movies. I think that they need to have distinguishing uh, features and characteristics that then set them apart, much like their characters within the comic books. Um, so I kind of like this idea that 
Walter, you know, is more open to doing this kind of multiverse cinematic universe. And I think we're going to finally kind of start getting the starts that based on a little bit of what was teased in the flash panel and how we're going to have Michael Keaton's Batman and we're going to have Ben Affleck's Batman. And, um, I know that uh, the showrunner for The Flash is kind of open to maybe having Grant Gustin have a small cameo in there, which I think would be would be great. I think that would be that would tie it even more to Crisis on Infinite Earths, more so than just having Ezra's cameo on the shows. So um, this is an idea that I've kind of talked about. And in fact, you might have uh, seen me having the exchange with, I, I believe, uh, oh, I, I can't remember. I, I, it's a podcast I follow. They're great guys. I, th- I think it's the Nerds Something podcast. Uh, I will I will tag them in um, the show notes to make sure I give them credit for this because we were we were talking about, you know, just this idea of the multiverse and, uh, you know, Ben Affleck's Batman being in, in the Flash movie. Um, that, you know, what would be great is kind of what they replicate with their animated films. So they did a, uh, kind of two V one, uh, approach with their animated movies on how they would release three movies a year. Two movies would be in continuity of their DC animated universe, meaning, um, everything that was started in just, uh, actually everything that was started in the animated Flashpoint movie and going forward, starting with Justice League War, those movies were kept in line with a certain continuity. They kept with a consistent art style, much to the criticism of some people, which I think was very unwarranted um, because they wanted, again, to keep a tone and style that was similar and unique and consistent through amongst all their films. And then they would do one movie outside of continuity, for example, uh, Superman Red Sun. And I I really liked how they they did that approach. I think that they should have kept it going longer because um, that universe was just ended in Justice League Apocalypse War, although it was a fantastic cap and I really liked it and I liked the idea of spoilers if you haven't seen that. So if you if you want to skip for the next couple of seconds, um, go ahead and skip. But they basically had Barry redo Flashpoint to reset everything for hopefully a better shot at a better future. And um, I really like that idea and that concept uh, that now we're going to get this. uh, I believe it's Superman Man of Steel, which I'm not necessarily a huge fan of the art style that they're doing, at least from some stills and images I've seen, maybe when it's actually in fluid animation and I'm actually watching it as a whole, my opinion might change, but I like this idea that it's starting kind of this new universe and they'll still go along, uh, doing, I think they're kind of planned. So I, I thought that that would be a great way for them to do this, the cinematic universe, the actual live action movies is go ahead, do two movies in continuity, depending on how many movies you want to release in a year, do two movies in continuity, one movie outside continuity. Uh, and, and you can then get different actors in to play different roles and see what they, how they can interpret, uh, like Robert Pattinson's Batman, um, you know, how he's going to differ from Ben Affleck or Michael Keaton or Christian Bale or even Adam West, you know, like what is he going to bring to the table? And then, you know, you can maybe bring Ben back for the mainline Justice League Earth One type of cinematic universe or, you know, find a way to mesh it all together. I, I really do think that like they have this great tool with the Flashpoint storyline that they can use Andy Muschietti's movie um to kind of retool things within the mainline cinematic universe and go, okay, we can replace actors here, here, here. Uh, we can, you know, streamline our timeline of what happens in the world. We can fix what we need to fix. And then we're, we're good moving forward with these actors and, and these stories. And then we can tell some of these stories outside the continuity. I think that that's a really good idea. And I'm really excited to see that Walter is, uh, very open to it and has a very good vision along with Jim for how they want to do these movies moving forward. I think the game is going to be changed completely when we see the flash movie. Um, so I, again, I think that was a panel that maybe other people might've overlooked because 
for me being a DC Comics fan, I know enough about the multiverse as it is. So I wasn't really like, oh, yeah, I need a I need a 101 on what the multiverse is or what it means or how characters are different amongst different Earths. It really was more of a higher level view and how they can use this tool and thanks to crisis on infinite earths how they might be able to start doing the mainline characters maybe like batman and actually have him on a tv show and in a movie at the same time played by different actors interpreting different roles um you know it it just it was really good to hear that dc is is being very proactive or even Warner brothers is being very proactive and creative on how they want to retool and reimagine their cinematic universe. So I was blown away by that panel. It was not one I was really expecting to, to actually watch or enjoy. Um, but it, it caught my attention, especially once Walter was announced. Cause I'm like, Oh, this is Walter Hamada. Okay. He seems really cool. He seems like a fan, and and I really liked hearing him talk about it. It was great hearing Greg talk, but you know we we know Greg from the CW universe. We know he's got a particular vision, and he's a fan, and he's got this mindset of what he wants to put out on the small screen. And of course, we know Jim. Jim is a legend in the in the in the industry, and always seems like a genuine and good guy. Um, so it was great to hear from all of them talk uh, during this uh, panel. Now, there were too many other panels to really kind of go into in depth, but uh, a couple of the other highlight would be the Wonder Woman 84. Um, There wasn't much new kind of brought in from questions or anything like that, but we did get a release for a new trailer. Um, And I like that this trailer is still not exactly telling you what's going on. It's giving you hints Um, We still don't know how Steve is back. Um, We don't know kind of the relationship between Diana and Barbara and how Barbara becomes Cheetah. Um, We still don't kind of know what Maxwell Lord's overall plan is. Um, But we get to see see some cool new action shots. We get a a glimpse of Cheetah that I've seen some criticisms online um, that... It, it, it doesn't look good. And I only say like, Hey, maybe this trailer was cut a few months ago. They've polished it up, uh, that it's going to look better once it's on screen. I'm going to reserve my judgment till we see it really like actually see it. Cause these were quick shots. They were action shots. They were in dark scenes. So it, it's very hard to actually judge the CGI based on some quick flash moments. Um, but Leslie and I did talk after that panel and she felt like it needed to be held off. And I, I disagree. Like I understand um, that we, that had images probably not leaked of what she looks like in the movie, uh, at least artist concepts of what she's supposed to look like in the movie. I would agree. But since those images are out there, I think they wanted to kind of go ahead and, and let an audience see a little bit of it because I, we can assume that these sequences where she's actually cheetah are probably near the climax of the film, but the trailer does a very good job of not telling you what is the beginning, what is the middle, what is the end. And uh, a director I give a lot of credit for on, on trailers like that is J.J. Abrams. Whether you love him or hate him, J.J. is always good when releasing a trailer to make sure you can't figure out what plot A, B, and C is, or, you know, what the through line is, where these sequences of scenes could take place either at the beginning, the middle, or the end. Um, That's what I really liked about the trailer. Uh, I liked the visuals look really good. Uh, I think the the White House scene is going to be fantastic uh, once we see that. Um, And I just want to know more of of the plot. I want to know what's going to happen. I want to know what, how Steve's back and how he's going to adjust to life in the 80s. Um, but I think we've got to wait till October at least before we actually get to see that movie. And hopefully it doesn't get pushed off anymore. Um, I think Patty has done a really good job with the Wonder Woman franchise and whatever this might be, if it's a self-contained story, if it's a multiverse story, you know, we, we don't quite know yet because, I think that there's going to be some things where it doesn't kind of fit in with what was set up in Batman v Superman um, and possibly even what was done in the first Wonder Woman movie. I I don't know. It's just that's speculation on my part, but 
I thought the trailer was very interesting, uh, gave us some new shots, gave us some new images, and I think that it's going to be good. I mean, it's the first one was great, in my opinion, and I, I think that this one's going to be a, a strong follow-up. Um, next was, you know, like I have already kind of talked about, was the Flash panel. Um, they weren't able to bring much to the table on that, but this was nice because we were able to get more of a background behind Andy and uh, some stuff about Ezra and the writer on this movie um, and kind of some ideas and concepts that, that, that they're looking at. And then we got... Uh, the concept art that I'm sure a lot of you have seen already online of the new suit. And I think that this idea of, of Barry's suit being upgraded fits very much in line with, with the flash character. I kind of, again, it's going to harken back to the multiverse uh, the uh, crisis on infinite earth crossover of him seeing Barry's suit. And I feel like that's going to be possibly something that's going to be carried along into his movie because the the concept art very much is reminiscent of that, but it's also very reminiscent of the new 52 costume where it has the, the yellow lines um, to kind of spread out the electricity and whatnot. And uh, kind of that concept art with Michael Keaton's Batman uh, and the idea that now I'm hearing people say that it's Keaton's Batman that designs it for him. That doesn't make 100 percent sense to me. Um but it will depend on how the movie is set up and how the movie is done. But I see it more that it's Affleck's Batman is the one who does it because they've kind of created that Tony Peter, you know, from the Marvel movies relationship with them in Justice League. So I see it more being um, Ben's Batman that, that kind of creates the suit for him versus Michael Keaton's. But I'm not adverse to keaton's batman maybe because of how he how flashpoint starts or how he breaks into the multiverse however they're doing this he is stuck with keaton's batman and keaton designs the suit and and puts it together for him i i don't know but i thought that was a really cool tease and a really nice new look for the fans who have been waiting for this flash movie for quite a few years now uh hopefully they can start working on production here before too long and get it to us by you know 2022 uh, at the latest, I would like it to be in 2021, but who knows with COVID. Um, the Suicide Squad panel was also really cool. I, I love hearing James Gunn talk. Uh, I've been a fan of James Gunn for a while now. I, I, I loved Super, and Super was the movie that I think proved to me that he could definitely do a comic book movie. I mean, he's done some, some horror stuff before, like Slither, um, but, you know, Super was... Uh, kind of a take on Batman a little bit, but like a Batman who's not reasonable and, and having Rain Wilson play that character was was fantastic and and kind of putting superhero these superheroes in the real world, even though they you know don't exist. Um, so it's always great to hear uh, James talk, especially his knowledge of comics. Um, you know, he can tell he's a fan and that and that he loves these characters and he wants to do right by them. Um the only thing I'm not going to like about this movie, and it's only because I don't like this actor slash comedian, uh, because I don't feel like I, I, I don't find him funny. I don't find his acting strong. Um, so I'm hoping he only has a small part in this, but it's Pete Davidson as Blackguard. I am hoping this is very minor um, because I, I don't feel like he's kind of earned this place. I think everyone else that's on this panel and that's in this movie. I've kind of earned their chops to be in this movie. And Pete Davidson, I, I, I'm not sure is there yet. I think that man needs um, some more fine tuning. I think he needs to, uh, he seems a little off just as a person. And I think that that kind of unstableness is not going to translate well when he's trying to act in a big action style comic book movie. Um, but I'm willing to give it a shot. I, 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 from what they showed of kind of behind the scenes, like their behind the scenes teaser that they released, uh, I, I think it's it's going to be fine, um, structured over well overall. Um, but I that's one part that might hurt the movie just just a sm smidgen for me. I, I think the overall movie is going to be fine. I think everyone else is going to be bringing their A game to this movie. It's going to be great to see King Shark in an action a live action version of the suicide squad. Um, aside from seeing him on the CW shows, 
Um, I think it's going to be just a really cool movie. Like just the fact that he's bringing Polka Dot Man and Ratcatcher to the big screen. Like these are two minor characters. They're like C level, D level villains from the pantheon of DC villains. And it's kind of cool that they're going to get their their big screen debuts before many other characters. Um, and and da- I think David Dalmatian as Polka Dot Man is going to be fantastic. That that guy is is great and I, I have not seen him in anything I haven't liked him in yet. So uh, it was a nice cool tease. I know that, you know, it wasn't like an actual full trailer, but it was enough to kind of give us an idea of what the movie's going to be like. And I like that they're kind of going with Harley's early New 52 slash Arkham games uh, outfit. I think it's going to look good. I think it's going to be better than what we saw her in with Birds of Prey. Um, and maybe it's going to be a slightly different Harley in Birds of Prey. I don't know. Um, but again, that was another great panel. Um, so the next thing I kind of wanted to talk about, I think is probably the Snyder cut, um, panel. Uh, this has, I think been the most divisive amongst people. I'm not even going to call everyone fans that, um, that watched this panel or, or were keeping any tabs on this panel, because I think Zack Snyder is, is kind of the style of Michael Bay in the sense that he is a divisive director in the sense of you have his diehard fans who really like his technique, his style, his, his, uh, storytelling. And then you have people who cannot stand it, who don't like it, who would take a particular different style uh, over anything else. And that really kind of came to light um, during his panel because I thought his panel was great. Um, it was nice to see everybody kind of uh, like we you know saw Ben, we saw Henry, uh, Gal, Ezra, Ray. Uh, it was really nice for them to be able to uh, take the questions from fans and ask them the Zach. Like that was that was really cool. And um, then Zach, bringing on two people that were uh, that are fans that were instrumental in the release the Snyder Cut movement and having them on and and asking them questions about how it was for them and how did they get involved and how did they get it started and what does it feel like now that it's actually coming to fruition and I saw a lot of hate uh, on social media uh, that that he was pandering and that it was ego stroking and and all this to bring Fiona and Dexter on to to talk about his movie. And I I, I don't see that because honestly, if I had worked as hard as these people to get a version of the movie that I felt was out there that that needed some fine tuning to get it finished and to be able to release it out to people. And I was able to get a Times Square ad out there and, and get the, all these signatures on petitions and and get the ball rolling and actually see it come to fruition. And the director wants me to come on during this global event where DC fans across the world can watch and have them on and have him ask me questions. Like to me, that's an honor. Like that that is one of the nicest things I think a Hollywood director could ever do is to bring on a couple fans and and thank them for their hard work, their blood, sweat and tears to, to get this movie released. Um, I, I did not understand why people were out there uh, uh, attacking this move. I mean, I I felt genuine. It didn't feel like, because he wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about them. Now, they were talking about him and, and how great he is and everything like that. That might be considered ego stroking. But no question was, how great am I? You know, am I aren't I really great? Like, it was nothing like that. He was all asking about their experiences and why they got involved and and how was that movement like and what was it like to be contacting people all across the world? Like, that is an amazing, amazing thing I think as a fan to experience so I I was really kind of blown away by that so now we get to the next part we get the the teaser for the Snyder Cut Um, we also get told it's going to be be released in four one-hour part segments on HBO Max in 2021 
Um, and that he is looking at a way to make it so that it's one streamlined film and also looking at a way to get it to where it could be distributed. Um, because that stuff he has to do all on his own. Warner Brothers is not distributing the movie other than through HBO Max. Um, and he knows that people want to experience it as one whole movie, but as the way that it is right now, and it's probably in agreement with HBO uh, and Warner Brothers, that they has, he has to release it in manageable pieces for an audience. So um, there was criticism on that. I, I was seeing things on Twitter where someone was saying that, um, oh, yeah, there's nothing like having your your unadulterated or unedited vision than having it released in, in one four-hour cuts. Well, that's, that's not the same thing. It, it's not saying, hey, we're having this other director coming in and he's reshooting 75% of the movie and now it's taking this entire different story and it's going in this entirely different direction. And and now what you're doing is, okay, it's four hours. We're going to break this up into manageable content for people. We're essentially making it a miniseries, but we will release it as a one whole thing at some point, and then we're going to release it as an actual movie for home release. That is a completely different thing than having someone's vision completely tarnished or redirected and reshot and told a different complete story because – and I've seen this complaint too, that the teaser is the same movie. Um, and, and I was seeing this on social media. So it, it, there were people out there uh, that were that were attacking it, saying, "Oh yeah, it's just the same shitty CGI, and it's just the same shitty story, and and everything like that." The very opening thing of the trailer is Dark Side throwing down a weapon, and I've heard criticisms about the CGI for Dark Side. I think he looks fine. Uh, I think when you look at still images, it doesn't look as good. But when you look at that trailer and you're looking at that trailer in 1080 um, or in 4K, it, he looks good. He looks terrifying. Um, and then we get to see scenes of uh, what we can assume are flash forwards where there's the, actually the Hall of Justice is in ruins and parademons are flying around. Um, we get to see images of of uh, Cyborg before he Cyborg playing the football game. We also get to see uh, a sequence of where Silas, his father is sacrificing himself. And what I assume is a, an, an attempt to destroy the mother box um, and Ray Fisher Cyborg trying to stop him. We see a sequence of the flash in the speed force and seeing the world being destroyed around him, which I assume then will lead to him going back in time to, to make, make sure it doesn't happen or at least to get a second chance. Um, we are seeing the final shot of them all standing at the end. Superman is in his black suit. So that's just a few of the things that I've picked up. And there are more um, things in that little teaser that a lot of people are discounting or just are being colorblind to, you know, that they're just like, they, they have such a hate for Zach or, or, or for the justice league movie or his version of the justice league movie that they don't, they don't want to acknowledge it. And, uh, I, I did respond to someone and it was just a basic response. You can trash this movie all you want. You can hate on it. That's fine. Don't ruin it for other people. But, but my basic response was, you know, no one's forcing you to watch it. No one is making you sit down and watch Zack Snyder's Justice League. If you're a fan of the Joss Whedon cut, you can watch watch the Joss Whedon cut. I own it. I own it. I'm not going to lie about that. I own it. Uh, could I tell that there that it wasn't what Zack intended? Absolutely. Did I still enjoy it when I saw it in theaters? Absolutely. But I'm going to enjoy seeing what Zack actually intended to be on the theaters. Because even back when... This was all shooting. It was rumored it was going to be between three and four hours long. And uh, we knew that studio involvement got in there. And the previous head at Warner's uh, or the DC film uh, department was like, no, we got to streamline this down. We got to have it under two hours. And then, you know, we had the unfortunate um, passing of Zach's daughter, uh, which I think gave the studio an excuse to be like, well, we, we don't want to postpone this movie. So let's get another director in here. Let's do what we want to it and and we'll release it. So I think that it was a little thing of self-sabotage. Also, one other thing I've seen is 
people saying, oh, you know, you let fans bully a studio into releasing uh, a movie that didn't exist. That is verifiably false. Zach showed the cans. Zach showed images long before this was really taken a, a, a role. What it was saying was he needed money to finish the CGI effects for Cyborg and other special effects. He needed to be able to cut everything together to maybe do some ADR. Uh, you know, there were all these other components that were lying into it that needed to finish it. It existed in a rough format. And again, who cares? Why, why do you care so much whether it exists or didn't exist? And I don't feel, yes, I've heard about there were some released the Snyder Cut people that have been very bad. But people are taking those people and putting the blame on Zach and saying Zach needs to apologize for him. Zach has no control. Zach has really no connection other than, uh, you know, he's doing what he can. And the fact that the Snyder Cut released the Snyder Cut people were doing what they could. Uh, he has no direct affiliation with them. He doesn't, you know, give them money to go out and do this. Um, so you can't hold that one person responsible for what people on the internet are doing. Not it, it, the internet is laced with trolls. There are people that are doing it just to be edgy and just to to cause uh, drama. And you're using those small minority to discount. The fact that most of those fans have been respectful, all they were doing was retweeting a hashtag. Um, and honestly, the studio had to take a look at this and go, OK, we have a we have a win win. And we've talked about this on the Snyder Cut um, episode of the podcast. You know, we can release it and it could be huge garbage and then we can have everyone go, OK, Warner Brothers was right to not release this or, hey, it, it's <coughs> excuse me, it was successful but um, and we finally made that come to fruition. We allowed we allowed his vision to come into fruition. So it, it's it's really not anything malicious. And, and if you want to talk about how fans repay back a studio after kind of an outcry, look at the Sonic movie. When Sonic released that first trailer and and it was an abomination of a CGI character, the director said, hey, you know what, we're going to postpone the movie we're going to rework on the CGI. We're, we we hear you. There wasn't a whole lot of negativity. It was just a lot of people saying, "Oh, I would see the movie, but I can't. I can't get past the CGI uh, Sonic." And then they retooled it, and then they released it, and the fans repaid that back. It made so much money. It was greenlit for a sequel immediately. Everyone loved the Sonic movie after the directors listened to the fans. And one thing I would say that was a major takeaway, and I think um, The Rock uh, did this best in his Black Adam panel, he said, you know, he's got to respond to his boss. And the boss is us, the fans. He wants to do what what will make the fans happy. And I think that... That's really where this is all coming along and coming to fruition is is it's fans have some form of power over the, over the things that are released. Now, it doesn't mean that you need to boycott a movie or you need to go out and protest or, you know, take any type of violent action. Nothing like that. No, it, it's just that when they're you're allowed to voice your opinion. And I think that the the studios should keep an open ear. I think that this is something that CBS has neglected to do with Star Trek. I think that this is something that Lucasfilm and Disney has neglected to do with uh, with Star Wars. I think it's what uh, Marvel has done with some of their Marvel movies. They, they aren't listening to the fans. They're doing it trying to get the bottom dollar. And I think that that's, that's a parasitic relationship and it needs to be more symbiotic where it's it is fulfilling each other. And I think that DC, in the sense of their movies, because I, I think that their comics are in, in, in a bit of trouble right now. I think that DC's movies moving forward are taking that more into consideration and that, that they're listening to the fans and going, OK, how can how can we appease them without compromise, without compromising anything, you know, without, without doing things that, that end up hurting them as a studio. So I, I felt like this whole DC fandom experience, um, was, was a first step towards that. Cause honestly, I would like to see this continue, even if it's 
everything goes back to normal and San Diego Comic-Con is the thing that, you know, ha- still happens every year. Maybe after San Diego Comic-Con, you can do this like a couple months later, maybe in September or maybe even a month later in August, you know, whatever. Just doing this type of event and and either replaying those panels or or getting this all via, you know, Zoom or Skype or whatever they were using because it was it was very fun to see these guys and and it didn't feel like anyone was wasting their time or that people were uh you know uh, talking over each other all that often i mean there were some instances of that but everyone was very respectful people knew when to talk and and uh it, it was fun it was it was really fun to have this digital fan experience so i think this actually ends up being fairly long um the final thing I want to talk about is the Batman panel. So this was one that I didn't know if I was going to make it. You know, I, I was I was actually watching a movie, you know, to help keep me kind of in tune and still, you know, going, OK, I got till 830 before Matt Reeves comes on and talks. Um, and I didn't really want to miss it. But so I was glad I was able to make it because. I I was not necessarily 100% behind Robert Pattinson being cast as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Um, I did like the concept that Matt was bringing to the table and how he wanted to kind of bring the rogues gallery together and everything like that. Um, but I, I, I didn't know what else he was going to bring to the table. I know he's done very great movies with Cloverfield and, and the Apes trilogy. Uh, so I, I, there's nothing he's done that I, I haven't liked. And I think he's a very, very talented filmmaker. So when I hear him talk about kind of the psychology and the thematic stuff that he's going with and, and how he's setting up the story and how he deconstructs what what he's trying to do in this movie and what he, the work that it took just a year to get costuming designed and, and stuff like that, that this is a man who gives a lot of thought to the process and a lot of thought behind his movie and what he wants to put out there on the screen. And I liked him talking that this is a detective thriller movie, you know, that there, there's going to be these murders and we're in year two of Batman and that he's investigating these murders and that this kind of is what, is getting him into his career that we you know might see in an Affleck Batman years down on the road, you know, down the road. So it was it was really cool to kind of hear him talk about this and then to talk about his uh, GCPD show, which is, you know, it's gotten some, I think, fair criticism that, well, they already did that with Gotham. But I like his concept that this is going to be during year one. So we probably won't see Pattinson's Batman in the show, or if we do, it's going to be small cameos, but we're going to be seeing then from the cop level, um, them reacting to this and and then seeing kind of the corruption within Gotham city and the police and and exploring year one. So I, I think that that's a really cool concept and make it a nice companion piece to his movie. So it was a really, really cool panel and just, hear him talk he's very intelligent and he definitely has a very strong vision so then we get the teaser and when you hear the guy say oh yeah we've only shot 25 30 percent of the movie of course it was halted during due to covid they're finally getting ready to go back and and start it again um you get this teaser and this teaser feels like the movie's done like it, it it has an a b and c um, it knows where it's starting. It knows where it's ending. It knows what story it's going to tell. You would think that this movie was almost done and we would be seeing it release by end of this year. It is a strong trailer. Uh, I, Pattison is actually, I think surprisingly, uh, well, you know, does well in this trailer. I'm still not necessarily a huge fan of the ears on the cow. But I got to kind of still keep in mind that this is an early Batman. Um, I think it's probably more reminiscent of the original Detective Comics, where it's more of a curved horn up um, and and thin um, because it just it looks a little bit weird. But I think the rest of the suit actually looks pretty darn good. And if it is true that the the bat symbol um, that parts of it are made from the gun of Joe Chill, I think that that's really cool. Um I, I really like the feel that this is a this is a thriller. 
um, that there are these murders and somehow they're connected to him or that they're they're calling him out and and Gordon uh, trying to go like, how are you connected to all of this? And it, it does kind of have this very dark, gritty crime feel that that even, you know, Matt was talking about during during his panel. So it was um, it was re- really cool to, to, to see this and hear this and and watch this trailer and go, oh, my God, this this looks great. Like this was not anything I was expecting, nothing from the leaked set footages. Um, it just was not anything I had imagined. I, I think even there's the image of of Penguin and. I didn't. I had to find out on Twitter that that's who that was supposed to be because I didn't know that it doesn't look anything like Colin Farrell. I mean, it looks like a completely different actor. I think um, someone on Twitter made a very apt uh, comparison. It looks like Richard Kind in makeup. Like it, it, it did not look like Colin Farrell. Um, and I think that this kind of thriller esque storyline is is going to be really cool and i'm really excited to see these characters on the big screen i'm really excited to see where matt's going to take this and maybe what um what universe matt's going to build in this and within inside the these multiverse of their their cinematic universe because we don't we still don't know you know what flashpoint's going to do or not do so we don't know if pattison will be incorporated into that or uh, or, you know, it will become its own set of movies and they will release on their own kind of schedule and do their own takes on characters. But I was blown away. I, I was blown away by that teaser. So I have to say DC fandom, even though I wasn't really into it prior to, to actually checking it out was an amazing experience. I was, I was messaging my co-hosts constantly throughout the day while they were working and um just going oh my god they talked about this or this and this release for this or this tease for that it it just really blew me away it felt like comic-con at home i hope it's a a concept that that works really well i'm excited to see what they're going to do in uh, september because they're going to do a part two to this i think to focus more on the television side of things but my my goodness, this was so cool. Uh, it was a great experience. I mean, I had it running the entire day and uh, was just blown away by the stuff they released and excited for the future of, of DC and movies and television. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and just release it today, a Sunday. So it's episode numbering wise, it's probably going to be a little bit off. Uh for Monday's episode, but I kind of wanted to get on here, talk about my experience with it, talk about the stuff that they released. Uh, I'm sure in later episodes of the podcast, uh, we'll probably be discussing it with Leslie. We'll be discussing it with Pat, um, you know, just so it's not just a one sided version of this conversation. But I, again, I was really blown away by fandom. Um, I hope DC continues it in the future. I I liked this concept. I liked getting to kind of get that Comic-Con at home feel because I can't afford to go out to San Diego every year. I can't invest the time to and money to to be able to go out and experience that. Although I do want to at one point in my life experience that. Um, I, I just don't feel like I feel like this was a great way to kind of have that experience. You know, it, it just was something that it felt like you were in a room with all these people and, and everyone on Twitter and everyone's talking about DC fandom and even the negative stuff, everyone's talking about it. So a DC has got to be looking at this like going, Oh my God, we had a huge win. Uh, the fact that it was global and you could listen to it and watch it in any language, uh, that you speak, that's pretty darn cool. You know, it, it just, I, 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 I'm amazed. I'm amazed. And yes, everything was pre-recorded. I don't care. I think that that was a good way to do it because then you get everyone in that you, that you need to get in scheduling conflicts don't really, you know, happen a whole lot unless it's, you know, for the day that they're recording everything, but you get pretty much everyone there. You had the whole cast of suicide squad, you know, for, for that panel, even Pete Davidson included, but you know, it, it, that was cool. He even got a little bit of Robert Pattinson, although he seemed a little sleepy during during his little intro to the Matt Reeves panel. 
but it was so so cool um if you guys missed out on it check it out in september i they obviously probably won't be replaying the same stuff they're going to be doing new new things which was the reason why they broke it up but um i would definitely recommend it i know i'm going to check it out in september as well and uh i'm excited for these movies i'm excited for these tv shows one other side note to announce like the the whole milestone relaunch and they're relaunching static shock and that they're talking about a static shock movie like that's really cool and i think that this will be this will be great uh so i was very excited if if i were to rate the fandom uh fandom experience overall i'd say probably five there were some panels that i thought um probably went in a direction that may have not been intended and they may have said some things that i feel like probably weren't in place or weren't the place for it but I, I'm going to to you know overlook that because you know it wasn't a, it wasn't a panel for me so it, you know it just was one that started kind of listening to him going okay this really isn't for me I'm I'm going to kind of tune away a little bit for now um, not to discredit them or anything that they said but it just it was one that it was one that really felt kind of out of place amongst all the other uh, other panels but. I still am going to rate it at a five because it was just an amazing experience. Really cool. Wish you guys checked it out if you missed it. But anyways, that's going to do it for this, uh, this special episode of the podcast. Uh, so guys, if you're not following us on Twitter, you can follow us at critics, not, uh, critics NT cynics, um, there. You can follow us on Facebook at, um, the critics, not cynics podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, uh, Apple iTunes, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts. I still need to check for on Amazon Music yet. Uh, and, uh, you know, p- please feel free to leave us a rating and a review. It helps get the word out, spread us around, uh, you know, get us some more audience members. Um, but as always, we're, we're great talking to you. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this hastily put together special episode of the podcast and one little post note since i couldn't remember their name during the episode the exchange i had was with the nerd rage podcast um so definitely guys go follow them at the nerd rage pod uh they are great and they were covering this all uh this weekend so definitely go check out their podcast follow them on twitter subscribe to their podcast great guys know what they're talking about Um, so again, we will talk to you next time.